Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast Fringes of the Faith. I'm Paul Henderson, Administrative Pastor at Capstone Church here in Fort Worth, Texas. And sitting next to me, of course, is Senior Pastor Parky Coburn. Welcome, Parky. Well, hello, Pastor Paul. How are you today? I am doing pretty good. Pretty well, great, good. man. That's great. Well, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about Israel. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like every time we turn on the TV and we look at international news, they are in the headlines, and whether it's from this whole BDS movement, which is, what does that stand for? Boycott, Divest, and Sanction? Mm -hmm. if, it, if it's from the whole BDS movement, and then we've got the, the uprising of, of the Palestinian cause, and so I thought maybe today what we would do is we would talk about anti-anti-Semitism and try to uh, figure out why is Israel important? Why is it important to us as believers in Christ. Are you ready for that one? I'm ready for that one. Well, all right. Well, like we said, for some reason, the nation of Israel has been caught up in this whole cancel culture agenda. Mm -hmm. They're trying to cancel them out. And basically what they're trying to do is cancel out being Jewish. And you know what's funny is all this time, I thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that the cancel culture movement was about canceling people in institutions that demonstrate discrimination against, you know, social injustices, but also towards others for their faith or for their race or gender or their sexual orientation. So I thought that cancel culture, they went after people that discriminate against those things. Mm -hmm. So isn't it kind of an, an oxymoron to say that the cancel culture is going after Israel for being Jewish? Well, I, you know, you said something that I think is a key. And once again, if you're going to understand why people are coming after Israel, you have to try to crawl into their mind. And that's always a dangerous thing to, to try to do because you can get into assumptions that you don't know are correct. But when you say that cancel culture, uh, you know, wants to, to come against groups that are, are discriminatory, discriminatory in some form or fashion, you know, there are a lot of people that look at Israel like they would look at a colonial power. Hmm. Uh, and they consider them one. They consider them uh, as having come in and thrown out an indigenous people, people that were native uh, to, in this instance, Palestine, Canaan. And, and having taken over their land and taken it by force. And, and that's one of the reasons why cancel culture is coming against Israel. But, it, but if you're going to take that view, then you don't know your history very well. And, and so uh, that may be one thing we touch on a little bit today, but uh, that's, that's where that's coming from. So, yeah, let's touch on that real quick, because there's been this big deception going on about Israel and how they are essentially trying to commit genocide against the Palestinian people. And, you know, that's just not the truth. No. Uh, you know, if you go to Israel or if you study what's going on over there, the population of the Palestinian uh, ethnic group has grown dramatically. Um, they have a tendency to have large families. It's part of their culture. And, and they're growing uh, very, very dramatically. Um, so the population is on the increase and not the decrease, which would, you would assume would be happening in some type of genocide program. Uh, you know, uh, it, the, the goal would be to decrease the population, not to see it increase. Oh, you mean kind of like Hitler 
trying to decrease the Jewish population by six million. Yeah, I mean that's genocide. Yeah, that was a program that was put together with real um, uh, institutions uh, that were put in place to actually kill. Uh, systematically kill and decrease the population of Jews. So you're right. Mm -hmm. And so let's try to wade through some of this deception and and shine some light here and let all of you know out there as believers in Christ why it's important that we speak out against those that are trying to boycott and divest and sanction and discredit and destroy the nation of Israel. And by the way, the 9.2 million people, including people of all faiths, that live there. Mm-hmm. We're not just talking about the Jewish faith. We're talking about all faiths live in Israel. And, you know, it's estimated that there are 7 million actual Jewish people in Israel. So that leaves what? 2.2 million of others. So, I mean, does it make sense? Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't calculate. But we, right. need, to, we need to understand um, the the agendas behind this. And so you've been to Israel several times. Yes, I, um, I have. Okay, so can you tell us what the truth is about Israel as a country? And, you know, what do you hear from the actual people that live there? Well, one of the things that I would say is uh, that when you go to Israel, you learn very quickly that the news that we get regarding what's going on in Israel is incomplete at best, if not slanted. Um, I would say slanted, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to be nice. I'll be nice and say incomplete. That's one of the things you learn. Um, you know, for instance, and I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, the news may report that the Israelis are bu- building a settlement in the West Bank. And that's all they say. Well, um, you know, so in America, we hear that and we go, hey, these mean Jews, you know, they're going in and taking land away from a group of people who already don't have enough land. And what you don't realize until you get there is that half of the country is the West Bank. I mean, the West Bank cuts Israel, I mean, excuse me, Jerusalem right down the middle. And there is a ton of open land <laughs> in the West Bank. And so it's, it's just disingenuous. That's one of the things you learn. And I, I just want to encourage everyone to go there. We tried to go this year, couldn't get in. Hopefully we'll make it next year in 2022. Well, you're right. Um, we went a mm-hmm. couple of years ago. We went and, together. And, uh, you know, there is a lot of open land out there. It's, it's, I mean, it's almost like when you're driving in the, in the prairie lands of, of the Panhandle. Lots of open country. Lots of open country. And one of the things that I would say, you asked me about the Israeli people. When you talk to Israelis, they're in Israel. They are very open to any solution to this conflict, including a two-state solution. They are very open to that. As a matter of fact, there are many that prefer something like that and, and are open to giving away land uh, to to have uh, this conflict come to an end. So, you know, I think over here we think about greedy Jews or, you know, greedy Jewish people, greedy Israelis, I should say, over there who don't, you know, just want to take and take, where the reality is is if you go to Israel and you talk to the most of the people on the street, they are very open to any peaceful solution, even giving away land. And you talk about a little bit of the incomplete picture from the media um, and how it's slanted. It, it, to me, it, it, 
it seems a little strange that when they talk about peace in Israel and they talk about a two-state solution and they talk about um, how there's opposition to that, what's funny to me is every single time the Israelis have come to the negotiating table with a deal to do, to split up their land for peace, it's the other side that shuts down the negotiation and they walk away from it every single time. But we don't hear that in the media. We all, all, all we hear is, oh, it's Israel, it's Israel, it's Israel. They won't negotiate. They, won't, they don't want peace. It's actually the opposite. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And, um, you know, most of those talks break down uh, over over things that begin to get unreasonable, um, you know, uh, like you, and they're not things that we hear about on a day by day basis. But a use of ports, you know, uh, how is a port going to be used? Is it going to be exclusively one nation's? Is are both nations going to be able to use it? Because there's not that many port cities there in Israel, even though they have a coast, a long coast. So mo- a lot of it breaks down over things that. Uh, you know we don't we don't realize uh but the last poll that i saw actually said that the majority of israeli citizens jewish israeli citizens supported a two state solution about 70% did i yeah. see that yeah mm-hmm. about 70% so let's talk uh, a, a little bit about the you know what the bible has to say about how israel should be treated especially how do we treat those of the Jewish faith? If you remember in Genesis 12, 3, Abraham is approached by God, and God tells him, I want you to leave this land and go to a land where I'm going to show you. And in that moment, he says, what? I will bless those that bless you, meaning Abraham and his descendants, and I will curse those that curse you. Yes, that's the first real indication Uh Outside of maybe some some things said to Moses, but that that's one of the first real indications we see of of how we should treat uh, the Jewish the Jewish race. You know, you get, you dig a little bit deeper into that, and you learn just how serious the Lord is about that, mm-hmm. because we read about a, a prophet named Balaam that uh, came to Israel at the, at the urging of Balak, right? Mm-hmm. And he's there to curse Israel. He's standing on the mountaintops, and, and they're looking down in the valley, and they see all of the Jewish people gathered there under Moses' leadership. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and so now here's Balaam getting ready to curse Israel, but the Lord tells Balaam, you'll speak what I tell you to speak. And the words that come out of Balaam's mouth is a blessing. Mm-hmm. which just totally throws me like, I mean, just throws him into a conniption fit. And he doesn't do it just once. He does it a few more times as well. And he says the same things. I will bless those that bless Israel, and I will mm-hmm. curse those that curse them. You know, it's it's true. And I, I, I just almost picked up a thought. Somebody out there watching was thinking, well, this Balaam you're talking about, I mean, you know, this is a slanted story. He probably didn't even exist. Well, they have found archaeological evidence that Balaam did live, did exist, and was a very influential person. Uh, they found they have found his name written uh, on on uh, stone and in other things in that area. But yes, I mean, and this is a guy <laughs> who really 
had no benefit from blessing Israel other than the fact that God divinely intervened because he was being paid mm-hmm. to curse Israel. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And so that leads us down to this other topic that I really wanted to, to uh, address and get your thoughts on, which is something called replacement theology. Can you explain a little bit about what replacement theology is for those that may not have heard this term before? Well, you know, it kind of includes two or three things, but at, the, at its basic core, what it is is it's basically that the church has replaced uh, natural Israel. Spiritual Israel has replaced natural Israel, and and really that the covenant with Moses is uh, that God made with Moses is completely insignificant now, uh, and that uh, everything that you see in the Bible that talks about Israel uh, should be interpreted to be speaking to the church itself. And by by the church, you mean Christianity? Yeah, right? the okay. Christian church, right? Okay. And and so and that's really at a nutshell what replacement theology is. So basically, Israel doesn't matter. I mean, the nation of the, of Israel, the Jewish people at this point in time, uh, in replacement theology, they they just don't matter at all. Okay, and and we know if you are a Christian and you, you know you, you live and you read by the Christian Bible, we know for a fact that the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about uh, Israel and the oh, Jews. Yes. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off here with Romans 1, verse 16. And this is the Apostle Paul. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Mm-hmm. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes first the Jew, and also to the Greek, meaning the Gentiles, meaning us, mm-hmm. those that are not of the Judaic faith. And so here's Paul saying it comes first to the Jew mm-hmm. and then also to the Gentile. And so I think that's very interesting that, you know, here, here's Paul. He's, he's had an encounter with Christ. He knows the Messiah. And now I think he is speaking against a sect that was occurring in Rome at the church that, that was there where the Jews were coming up against the the believers of the way in in the same religious aspect, and they were arguing back and forth. I mean, is that kind of what you get out of out of Romans when he's talking about this this uh, disagreement that arises between Gentiles and and Jews that are in the church? Yeah, I think I think very early on, uh, very early on, uh, there began to be uh, some some anger against the nation of the Jewish people because they were being blamed for the treatment of Christ. But the truth of the matter is, is the the prophecies of Isaiah and other places were being forgotten, which Mm -hmm. the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. So, you know, you can't just blame a Jewish person for being a Christ killer. You had to look at yourself. Uh, My sins, what killed him? And, and, And so, yeah, early on there's this, you know, just frustration but the but the gentile but the apostle to the gentiles paul mm-hmm. it's very interesting to see what his attitude is and that's what you're reading right that's his attitude too. yeah that what his attitude was and you know at, at one point in time he asked the question has god forsaken his people certainly and, not and he said certainly not certainly exactly not. And then he says in Romans chapter 10 verse 1 he says my heart's desire and prayer to god concerning them who are the them the Israelites, 
is for their salvation. Mm -hmm. So he is expressing his heartfelt concern for the Jews to be saved. Exactly. He's not saying they can't be saved. He's saying it's my heart's desire that they be saved. And, you know, if they were beyond hope or if it didn't matter any longer, surely the Apostle Paul would have led us down that pathway. And I know in people that believe in replacement theology point to some other things that he said. So, well, he said, you're not a, you know, being a physical Jew doesn't matter, but being a Jew inwardly is what matters the most. But you have to understand that many of these things that Paul was writing, he's not just writing to Gentiles, but he's also speaking to Jews. That's right. And he's he's tell in the book of Romans, we know he's not just laying out Jewish sin, he's laying out the sin of humanity. But he is including everyone in that. So at times he's speaking to Gentiles. At times he's speaking about the plight of the Jews. And, and through all that, he's laying out the, uh, the, the corporate sin of humanity against God. And we go back to the statement about, uh, you know, he, he, his desire is for salvation for the Jews. He makes it clear when you, when you read a little bit farther in Romans 11, he makes it very clear that while God has temporarily placed Israel's total salvation as a nation on hold, it's not permanent. He says, I ask then, have they, meaning the Israelites, stumbled so as to fall, meaning permanently, be mm -hmm. done with? And he says, absolutely not. On the contrary, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Okay, why would he say that? He would say that because their jealousy is going to lead to a change. Lead to their salvation. Lead to a change, yes. That's good. And then he goes on to say, now if the first fruits are holy, and what are the first fruits? When he says, when he's talking, he's in this context, yes. he's talking about Israel and the Gentiles together, but he says, now if the first fruits are holy, what he means is God's first chosen people, yes. the Israelites, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, what is the root? Yeah, and in this situation, you know, he's talking about the nation of Israel, both redeemed and un unredeemed. As a matter of fact, he's even talking about unredeemed Israel here in a little bit because he says, hey, the natural branches were, were broken out and you were engrafted in. And he said, so should you rejoice over, the, over those branches that were taken out? And he says, no, mm -hmm. you should not because they can be grafted. The natural branches can be put back in as well. And they will be. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And they will be. And he says, if the root is holy, meaning if the mm -hmm. root, the Israel, if the Jewish people are holy, so are the branches, so are we. Yes. And so it's through their holiness that we are holy. As a matter of fact, let's talk about where did the Messiah come from? He came from which faith? Well, he, he was an Israeli, and an Israelite, and he was uh, followed the, the, the faith of his fathers, which was Judaism. Right. And so when we, when we go back and we look back at how we open this segment and we start talking about how we should treat Israel, you know, there's a, a, an obscure book in the Bible. I call it obscure because it's, 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 you know, a smaller book, but it's Joel. And in chapter 3, it describes how the Lord will one day restore Israel. And then when those that come against her, being Israel, divide her land up, God says he's, he's going to judge them. Pretty yes, harshly. Yes, he does. Says the same thing in Zechariah chapter twelve, verse three. 
that anybody who comes against Israel, and now this is talking about the nation of Israel. Right. It's not talking about some religious group. It's mm -hmm. talking about the nation of Israel, Israel where she lives, that when anybody tries to come against her, they're going to be only hurting themselves, mm -hmm. damaging themselves. And so there are prophecies there that tell us how we should treat a nation called Israel. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, we talked a little bit about Jesus mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the root of, of his faith uh, that he practiced, which was with his father's practice. He was Jewish. And, you know, where, where is it that is prophesied that he will be placing his throne to rule the nation for a thousand years? Well, of course, it's in Jerusalem. Uh, he's going to rule uh, in, the, in the millennial kingdom from Jerusalem itself. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, so that in and of itself lets us know, you know, that there, there is, a, there is a, an interest that we should have, you know, about that, about the, the land of Israel, about the nation, about the city of Jerusalem. Well, I think what's interesting is that the, at the end, at the end of the age, at the, when it's, everything's final, the finality of it all, mm -hmm. you have a new city coming down, a brand new city. And what's the name of that brand new city? The new Detroit, isn't it? No. No. Mm -hmm. The new Jerusalem. <laughs> the, new, the new Jerusalem. Um, the people in Detroit got excited. for yeah, I, if, I, Look, if you're in Detroit, I've never been there, so, so please don't take that badly. <laughs> <laughs> they wish that they could have a new city. Um, anyway. Uh, right into him, okay? <laughs> okay, so finally, what counsel can we give other Christians about the Jewish nation and how we are to respond to other Christians who are siding with Israel's enemies? Because did you know that there are, there are believers out there that have sided with the uh, Palestinian cause and, you know, all of the Arab nations surrounding Israel who are Israel's enemies. And, you know, how do we, how do we counsel them? You know, that's, that's a great question. That's a great question. You know, the prophet Jeremiah in, in, in chapter 31, uh, you know, and later in the verses, uh, in the verses in the thirties, he talked about, you know, that God had just as much as he had established his covenant with the sun and the moon and the day and the night, that his covenant with Israel could not be broken, that they would continue as a people. Now, I will say this to you, and, I, you know, and I know there may be Jewish people listening. You may not know this, but I am 3% Jewish, <laughs> according to Ancestry. They are an extremely hard-headed people. There, there is when it comes to the acceptance of Jesus and and prophecy. There may there is hard headed as any people on the earth. I mean, including uh, those uh, that are of Islam. Oh man, yes, because this all happened among them. It's the fulfillment of their own scriptures, uh, and so. I'm not blind to the faults of Israel. And Israel doesn't do everything right on a day-by-day -day basis. And in many ways, they're still in rebellion against God. And in a lot of ways, the tribulation is going to be the purification of Israel, mm -hmm. as well as the purification of the rest of the world, especially the last three and a half years. Right. 
But with that being said, that doesn't mean that God has finished with Israel. As a matter of fact, you cannot read Romans 9, 10, and 11 without understanding that the sons of Jacob, okay, the sons of Jacob are going to be saved. They're going to be delivered. Now, what's the number of them that are going to be saved? I mean, a lot of them, there's prophecy says a lot of them may be wiped out in the tribulation period. But there will come a day, the prophet Zechariah said this as well, and then the apostle Paul reiterated this in the New Testament that Israel is going to come to the realization that their hope is in the Messiah. Jesus, not some other guy. And they're going to repent, and they're going to be saved and delivered. And, and even this battle that, that was fought by, by Satan, by Satan fighting against God to destroy the Jewish people, even that he's going to lose. Mm-hmm. Because Israel is going gonna, is gonna to be redeemed. They're going to be saved. And so we, if we believe the scriptures and the prophecies of the Bible, now, I mean, you can make up a political position if you want. And you can not even like everything the Jewish people do. But I counsel you not to take that to the place to where you're working against them and... and uh, trying to punish them in some form or fashion, God is well able to punish them and discipline them. He has all throughout the years. But there are some things that God has said about Israel in his word that are going to come to pass. And you don't want to fall down on the wrong side of that because you might, as Gamaliel said when he was talking about the apostles, you might find yourself fighting against God. Amen. Um, and as a matter of fact, the thought that just was running through my head is that there will be a throne established forever from the tribe of Judah, which is Judah, which is Jew. Mm-hmm. So that throne has been established forever, and it will be a Jewish carpenter that was here on the earth that will one day sit on that throne here on the physical earth. He's already on the throne now. But one day he will be on the throne here on this physical earth. And so if you've got a problem exactly. with Israel, if you've got a problem with Jewish people, then you've got a problem with Jesus. And I hope, I hope, and I pray, and I know that Pastor Parkey prays that um, if that's the case, that you just open yourselves up to reading the scriptures and to trying to understand where the nation of Israel is placed on God's table because he is the, I mean, Israel is the apple of his eye. It is. And, and those of you, you know, you hear about the Palestinian conflict, and, and that word Palestine is an ancient word, uh, you know, and you hear certain groups, you hear certain groups call themselves Palestinians and in an effort to relate back to the early days of that land. But brothers and sisters, you've got to understand from history that Semitic people were not the first people in the, in the land of Canaan or Palestine. It, it was descendants of Ham, not Shem, Ham. And when the Israelites began to enter in, the Hebrews first began to enter into the land in approximately 1800 before Christ, and that culminated down through the years. The people that they kicked out of that land were not Semitic people. They were Canaanites, okay? And the people who ultimately took the land back 
after I guess it was after World War II that that took that land and and created the Balfour Declaration that allowed the Jews to come in and create a homeland. The the Jews that was not done by by the, a Jewish war against Arab people. That was done as a result of World War II and and a fulfillment of prophecy. And it was done without at that time without real bloodshed on the part of the Jews against the against Arabs. And so r- remember, guys, uh, the Israelis didn't come in there and and kick Arab people out. Uh, that's just not not historical. And I think the media and a lot of our academia tries to tell us disingenuously that that's what happened and that's why the Arabs should be able to displace the Jews there because they were there first, and that's just not – it's just not true. And I think that that goes uh, on to say that how important is it to really know history? How important is it to read it for yourselves, the historical account – Mm-hmm. So that we don't get we don't get um, wrapped up in this whole identity crisis of of who we are, who Israel is, who America is, and we start having all this garbage. I'm sorry to use such harsh language, but having all this garbage infiltrate our public schools that you know just they're not even telling the truth at all anymore. And there will be a reckoning one day. So with that. I thank you. I thank you for your insight and and for your words of wisdom and counsel uh, for others out there that may be asking, why is Israel so important to us? Well, thank you very much. And remember the balance on this, brothers and sisters. We're not whitewashing Israel's wrongs, okay? We're just telling you that God has a plan, all right? And that plan should give you peace because in spite of all of the rebellion that Israel did down through the years as a corporate entity against God— God in his infinite mercy still has a plan for them. And so take courage from that, because that means no matter what you've done in your past, that God still has a redemptive plan for you too. Amen. Well, thank you. We love you guys. And just remember, stay in the word, stay alert, and be not deceived. We will see you next time here on Fringes of the Faith. We love you. God bless you. Have a great one.